Welcome into the show. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call. This is Daniel Werman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. As always, every weekday at 9 a.m. Eastern, you can always watch at DanielWorkman.com. Thanks for tuning in. It is uh, it's a big week. Matter of fact, it's a big, big day. Uh, before we get into that, though, I just want to give you a little heads up on what is coming up this week. Um, today we have Matt Barnes, and he is the newly announced North American Sporting Director for FC Helsingor of Denmark, and I look forward to having him on in just a few minutes. Tomorrow, we've got Mickey Turner checking back in with a legal update on all things American soccer. Wednesday, Ken Richards, the the father of Chris Richards, who is now at Bayern Munich, and uh, he will be joining us on Wednesday. Look forward to having a really good conversation with him about that journey so far and uh, just, you know, the one of the, the roads traveled by a player uh, and, and it's something we talk about on this show quite often it's something that um I, I don't think a lot of people realize and that is 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 the pathway for an american player is not the same for every american player it is not linear uh it's often uh, all over the place and it is it is a byproduct of the dysfunction of our system and so Chris's story and, and, the, and the entire Richards family story is one I think worth noting and, and looking at. And, and so I look forward to having Ken on on Wednesday. On Thursday, we have Luke Berry, not to be confused with the recently deceased Luke Perry, um, who is uh, with Port City FC in the Gulf Coast Premier League. He will be joining us on Thursday and on Friday. We have Tristan Tillette. So it's going to be a busy week um, up and down uh, all over the, all over the country. Uh, guests joining us and and just kind of uh, getting a, an insight on all, all kinds of aspects of American soccer. Um, so this weekend, uh, Liverpool in, in England, it's it's the it's the big title race that everyone's looking at, talking about. It's coming down to. 
to today's match between Man City and Leicester. Um, and that's thanks in large part to the fact that on Saturday, Liverpool left it late uh, against their former one of their former managers um, in in playing Newcastle. It was it was one zero, then it was one one, then it was two one, then it was two two, and for most of the second half, um, it, it was it was it was a draw, and it was you could tell Liverpool were pressing. They were trying to get that goal. They were trying to get that goal. Salah goes out, and I'm I'm watching the match, and and I'm just like, oh no, like this is not good. Um, you know, one of the best goal scorers, the the leading goal scorer for the league, and he's out. You know, looks like he 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 leaves with a concussion, and and now we have that news confirmed. And so you're like watching the game, and if you and if you're pulling for Liverpool, if you're a Liverpool supporter, you had to get nervous knowing that that Salah's out, and now what are we going to do? And uh, they leave it late, but they they get a header there towards the very end, and uh, you know there was some nerves. You could watch the team; they were a little antsy, especially you know I, I noticed uh, the outside backs, both uh, Robertson and uh, Alexander Arnold, were were a little bit antsy in terms of just getting the ball and just kicking it long, even though there was eight minutes of stoppage time, but they got through it. They got through the nerves and they pulled out the three, two win and, and gave them a chance, gave themselves a chance to keep pressure on, uh, on man city. And, um, and, and that, that's the key because today's match, uh, between Leicester and, and man city, if Leicester can get a draw or a win and Leicester already beat man city earlier this year. So if, if Leicester, and one of Liverpool's other former managers, Brendan Rodgers, is able to to get a draw or a a victory against Man City, then Liverpool will have the title um, in their hands in terms of their own destiny. They still would need to likely win their last match to win the title, but they would control their own destiny. If Met, if Man City wins today then it comes down to the last day and it's it's not a very good chance for man city to drop points um that day so this is really the big day this is really kind of you know the 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 culmination of the season that today is probably the title decider one way or the other and it's it's liverpool's last chance matter of fact henderson uh was quoted as saying he was praying for a miracle today so uh they the team I, i'm sure that that the liverpool squad will be watching today's match and, and watching to see that the bad news uh for liverpool uh, and it could get worse today if man city wins uh and, and could turn into a pretty brutal you know 24 48 hours for for the for the club um Salah and Firmino are out tomorrow against Barcelona in the return leg of the Champions League. So you're already down 3-0 to to Barcelona, and now you, you've got Salah, your leading scorer, and, and Firmino, your starting number nine, both out for the match. It's going to be a tough hill to climb already. Now it, it looks impossible. So... Um, you know, Liverpool's had a very, very good season. 
very solid season, and uh, you can see that they are continuing to make progress, still building, still growing, but um, they, they, may, they may end the season with no hardware, and, and it, that's probably going to leave a bitter taste in some of their mouths, probably all of their mouths, with the work that they put in uh, for the season to, to not get anything to, to show for it in terms of silverware or hardware, but, um, you know, that's, that's how it goes in a merit-based system where you, you, everything you do is on the field. And, um, and so, you know, they just, they just came, they came up a little bit short, uh, unless they get that miracle today and, and a miracle tomorrow, to, to be honest. So they, they really need two miracles in the next 24 hours, not just one to be able to pull off, um, you know, some, some hardware to, to finish out what has been a really, really good season for them. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I don't anticipate Man City um, dropping their intensity today. I, I don't, I, I, that's not Man City. That's, that's not Pep Guardiola. That's not um, how his teams typically approach this. If anything, I think they're going to be up for the challenge. And I think they're going to, they're going to, not just look to win. I think they're going to look to make a statement. And, and so I think it's going to be a very, very tough task for Leicester city today as a, as a Liverpool, uh, supporter in the premier league. It, it, it's, I, as I've talked about before, it's my second favorite club, um, behind Barcelona. I, I hope for Liverpool, that uh, you know that it's a close match, that it's competitive. I fear that uh, Man City wants to go out and make a statement that they are title, uh, they are deserving of winning the title, and and that they want to to win it convincingly and and not leave it late. Um, obviously, you never know in these things, but um, it, you know, like I said, it could be a very frustrating. 48 hours for for Liverpool and their supporters, but uh, for their sake, I, I hope some things go their way. So um, it, it's it's a big, big, um, big, big day and a big afternoon here in the U.S., big evening over, over there across the pond. And, um, you know, as we wind down uh, the, the club season that uh, has been going on in Europe and we're coming in here to May, you start to see things, the competitions start to wrap up, the leagues, uh, the cup competitions, et cetera. Uh, we, we, are, we are just almost to that point here in a few weeks. We'll be hitting that point where the, the transfer market opens up and... Uh, and we're going to start to see some some big player movement, I think. And uh, I think in all of that, I think uh, one of the the clubs to keep an eye on is definitely Real Madrid. Uh, I think I think Manchester United are going to be making some moves as well. Uh, and so I I I think there's going to be a lot to see over the summer of rumors and player transfer rumors and all of that because this this sports economy that surrounds the global, the global game, the football, uh, economy around the world really cranks up there in the summer. And we really start to see the big business, uh, on the, on the player market side, start to open up. And it's one of the elements of, of the way that American soccer is constructed. 
and, and this was intentional by U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer, they, they created a depressed system on purpose so that the wages are depressed, movement is depressed, uh, coaching salaries depressed, opportunity depressed. And the reason why they did all of that was to, to be able to control cost in the very beginning. And, and they were trying to, you know, keep things at what they considered to be a manageable level and manageable meaning centralized control manageable. They wanted to be able to centrally have direct control over progress. And that, that system, because it sits at the top, it, you know, if one of the things that, that I think people miss is that if Major League Soccer was just kind of floating out in its own space and was not part of a pyramid, that it wouldn't be as big of a deal the fact that you have depressed wages or whatever, because there would be a, a different league that would be at the top of our system that would be providing opportunity and, and, and movement, et cetera, in an ideal situation. So um, it, it wouldn't have as, as adverse effects as it, as it currently does uh, for players, coaches, et cetera. But because it sits on top of everything, and U.S. soccer has deemed it as the top league in this country and that nothing is higher than that league. So that league, with all of the, the depression of wages and movement and control and keeping the game small, et cetera, so that they could control it, so that they can manage it the way that they see fit, not the way the market deems fit, uh, because of the, that, it, what it does is it stifles everything below it. And that means that, that the U.S. is not a major player in the transfer market, and it's not a major player in the football economy. And, and, and so that uh, not only means adverse effects on, on the U.S. system, but it also means adverse effects on the global game, too, because this market would be massive if it were fully engaged and fully um, taking – uh, advantage of of its of its power and what it should be in in the place that it should be the status that it should have so i hope that that uh that that begins to to change over time and i i hope that we really start to see the u.s get engaged um with um you know having having the opportunity for every club in america to really engage in in the sport of, of football in the in the business of football on a global scale we would all be better for it our stadiums would certainly be a lot more full than they are right now the sponsor for the show is charity water charity water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world they are changing lives you can learn more about them at charitywater.org we will be back in just a minute with Matt Barnes. Engineer. 
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in today, this Monday morning, May the 6th. We are excited to be joined by Matt Barnes, the North American Sporting Director for FC Helsingor. Matt, how are you doing? And welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and, and looking forward to speaking with you this morning. So give us a little bit uh, of, of a background, this news about, about being the North American Sporting Director for FC Helsinger uh, is, is recent. So let's, before we get to that, and, the, and, and that's an exciting project, and I, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about that today, give us a little bit of your background. You know, who is Matt Barnes for the audience, and, and you know, what, what have you been doing in the game leading up to this moment uh, to, in, in your life? Wow, it's a, it's a long story, so I'll try to give you the closest version. So um, eight years ago, I was sitting in a, a high school classroom. I was a special ed teacher in and um, just got to a point in my life where I was, you know, I was teaching full time and uh, owned a business and was running a youth soccer club and just not doing something that I really wanted to do with my life. So made the decision I wanted to go back in and coach full-time and sold my business and left teaching and um, jumped into the college game and just kind of been on this crazy career to trajectory ever since. I jumped into a uh, NAIA school in Arizona, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and was there for a couple seasons. We got that. It was one of the worst teams in the NAIA. We were able to flip it pretty quick, and from there, I I had an offer in Texas at a, a school that was making the transition from the NAI to Division II, and uh, that was at Lubbock Christian University, and we jumped in there and had some success right away. It was there for about a year and a half when we got that uh, program turned around and won a think we might have lost you matt um we're gonna we're gonna try to get matt uh back on here in just a second we we lost his audio um so so as matt was kind of laying out for us um he um was was coaching in in, in 
was taking uh taking taking his time figuring out a new pathway which is ironically what we're talking about in terms of chris richards making it overseas so uh, let's see if we can get matt back on uh guys here in just a second and and see if we can get back to um the the interview let's try one more time to get matt back see here we go this is live radio stay tuned let's see see what we get here daniel sorry all right all right we got you back good and uh we were we were hoping to, to get you back on the air uh, so kind of we lost you there when you got to Texas. Maybe 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 uh, you don't mess with Texas after all. Oh no, I think we lost him one more time. Um, we will we will try to get Matt back here in just a minute. Um, and and so back to back to to the to the world of um, of of a of a coaching odyssey and a coaching journey the the pathway for coaches is very similar to players and uh and so we're hoping that we can get matt back here in just a minute to kind of finish that odyssey and kind of talking us through uh, his pathway because it is so different than um than than what a typical american coach goes through and so it, it's it's definitely um uh, something that I think is, is worth talking about, especially the new project that they are involved with. So we're going to try to get him back on the air. And if not, we'll, we will have to get him back on later. Um, Hello. Matt, uh, we can hear you now. Um, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys fine. Something, something's getting disconnected there. Apologies. Okay. Um, so no worries, no worries. So kind of pick up, pick back up. Uh, you, you got to Texas, and then uh, the phone went crazy. Uh, don't mess with Texas. We have relatives out in Texas. Um, <laughs> may, I'm sitting in a storm right now, so maybe that's the problem. Maybe um, that's the problem uh, for sure. So kind of, kind of pick back up there. You, you, you made it to Texas. And then all hell broke loose on the phone. So uh, kind of, uh, kind of yeah, fill us sure. in from there. Yeah, so long story short, I, I we went to Texas and turned that program around. Then I had a call from San Francisco State University, which had been traditionally one of the worst teams in Division Two, and, and definitely one of the worst on the West Coast for a long time. They hadn't had a, a winning season in about 20 years. So we moved the family back to California, where I was originally from, into San Francisco and, and – um, just fortunate enough there we turned that program around and had back-to-back winning winning seasons in my first two years there and then we just kind of found out as Morgan and I my wife we had our our first son um, our first baby and uh, we just couldn't afford to live in San Francisco anymore the faculty housing uh, went up to about 4,000 U.S. a month and um, as you can imagine you know division two soccer coaches aren't looking enough to pay those kind of bills so it was difficult so I had a really good opportunity here back in Texas at, uh, at another Division II school, and I took that. And along this road, um, you know, in the middle of it, when I was in Lubbock, uh, I had been offered uh, the PDL job in Midland, Texas. And I think they kind of realized that I'd, I'd had a niche for turning, you know, turning underperforming programs around. And we jumped at that opportunity. So I went into the, to the PDL. I spent four years with Midland Odessa. 
and um, we ended up turning that that program around. They were they had won about three games a season the two years before we got there, and we ended up in year three taking them to the the final four in the PDL. And in my last season there, uh, they had switched over to the NPSL, and we made a run to the national championship in the NPSL. And kind of all this experience, uh, I guess, led me to my opportunity with a FIFA-sponsored team in, in Turks and Caicos. Um, so Turks and Caicos had called, and my name, and I'd, I'd been a finalist for the U.S. Virgin Islands job in CONCACAF, and unfortunately didn't get that position. And through that process, I'd, I'd met several people in, in CONCACAF, so my name you know, came up for the Turks and Caicos job, and felt like it would be a good opportunity. And um, so what, a little close to a year ago, I, I jumped over and left the college ranks and the semi-professional ranks and took a stab at, you know, I'd taken, I figured I'd taken over the worst college programs in the U.S. I'd taken over one of the worst PDL programs. So why not take over the worst team in, in the world, which at that point in FIFA rankings, uh, Turks and Caicos was number 211 out of 211. And, um, Went in there and had a great experience. We we had a big win in November um, and moved up the international rankings, which was a, a really cool experience for me. And uh, you know, all all the last eight years has kind of led me into this this current position that I'm in. So, um, Turks and Caicos, did that come with a nice uh, vacation package? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, it was, uh, it's an incredible place. It's, it's, you know, as you've probably seen, it's, it's right at the number one beach in the world. And I was fortunate enough enough to be a couple hundred steps away from, from Grace Bay beach when I was there. It was fantastic. So it was just a a beautiful place and the people were very, very friendly and, you know, it was quite a difficult project and a job, you know, coaching there, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing, an amazing place. So we we pick up in the present. You've had, and before we kind of pick up in the present, I do want to make a quick point, and it was something I was talking about while we were trying to to um, get you back uh, on the air with a better connection. Um, and that is uh, similar to to the player pathway here in the U.S. for for a coaching pathway or for an executive, it's not it's not linear. It, you, you have, there, there's all kinds of, every pathway is really kind of unique. It's kind of a, the way I, I view this is it is almost a, a byproduct of the dysfunction of our system. And so you've kind of been going here, you've been, you know, working, you go out to California, then you come back to Texas, do you leave the, the high school classroom and then you decide, Hey, I'm going to go down this route and then take a detour down to Turks and Caicos and, and have that. And now, you, you have kind of been given this opportunity to to get involved in a project in Europe, in Denmark. And, and so that kind of pathway for a lot of people, they think, you know, when you grow up, like if, if you're an American football player, you think, OK, hey, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to play really good for my you know middle school. Then I'm going to play really good for my high school. Going to get a college scholarship, go play at a Texas or an Alabama or Notre Dame. You know, this is the dream of every young kid. And they're and then they're thinking, okay, then I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm going to play in the NFL, be a star, get paid, that kind of thing. That it's it's very kind of linear. It may not be the same school, but typically that's the American player pathway for American football. 
in soccer, it's all over the place. Uh, and there's all kinds of options. There's, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes it has to do with geography. Sometimes it has to do with with socioeconomic factors. But the pathway is rarely as simple or as, uh, or as clarified as that for a player or a coach. And so you kind of embody that that same journey uh, through all of these different levels of American soccer, then getting an opportunity with Turks and Caicos and now with FC Helsinger. So tell us a little bit how that project, FC Helsinger, how, how were you introduced to that project? How did that conversation begin? Well, Daniel, first of all, I mean, you're, you're the, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts, interviews, things like this. And I would say, you know, you're the first person that really has brought this up and recognized it because it's been a very, you know, it's been a difficult path for me and not, not a path that makes a whole lot of sense. And I've said, you know, a hundred times, if I had done what I've done in soccer and any other sport, I'd have a, you know, multi-year million dollar contract right now. And it's true. I've taken, you know, at, at every level, you know, from high school to club to the NAI to Division Two to the uh, NPSL, the PDL to the international level. Everywhere I've been, we've we've brought you know a great culture, and we've been able to turn things around in a, in, in, a, in a short amount of time and bring a lot of success. And you think that that would, you know, you think my phone would be ringing off the hook and it's been just the opposite, which has never made any sense for me. It's like the harder you work, the, you know, the fewer uh, options in the, in the U S that you have. So it's been very frustrating. And even from a coaching education standpoint, you know, you think, okay, well, here's a guy that has a master's in education and he's coached at every level and he's done well every, everywhere. And now I'm at, you know, I have a FIFA job. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually coaching in the, in CONCACAF. I opened up my career in Cuba, which not many Americans have been able to do. And I'm, you know, was fortunate enough to be one of the only American born coaches that's even, you know, ever coached internationally. And, um, you know, you think U S soccer would, would reach out and, you know, let's, let's help some of these young guys. And I'm, I'm older, I'm 47, but what about some of these young American guys that are ultra talented and they're great coaches and, you know, where's, where's the help for guys like us? Instead, it's been just the opposite. You know, I applied for my, tried to get into my coaching courses. I've done that late, but I've been a big proponent of it. And U.S. soccer won't even look at it. So I had to go back and, I mean, I've done my grassroots. I've had to go just straight up the, straight up the level. In fact, I did my C course and I've had to do a big application for my, for my B recently. I just got admitted into my B course and, um, See, it's, it's difficult because you just feel like there's 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 not a linear pathway. There's nothing. There, there's there's nobody saying, hey, we have some bright young guys that are, you know, domestically, you know, born and raised, and um, let's help these guys out. Let's let's you know let's put let's push the envelope with some good young American coaches and players on 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 both aspects. So yeah, I think. You know, it's a touchy subject with me because I've worked so hard and I feel like I've done so well, but, you know, there's just not a linear platform. Um, and there's a lot of guys out there that are, that are great at what they do. And I guess my advice from that aspect would just be, you know, just, just keep battling, keep grinding. Cause I think, you know, eventually, eventually something will happen for you. And, um, it's been kind of my unique and crazy pathway, but you know, here I am and, 
that kind of leads me into how did this whole FC Helsinger um, opportunity arise. It, w- it was interesting because when I took the San Francisco State job, the very first phone call I got in San Francisco was from Jordan Gardner, who's the, you know, as you know, the, the principal in this deal in Helsinger. And Jordan at that point was running a men's league team and said, hey, we want to see if we if you'll scrimmage, you know, give us a give you a preseason game at San Francisco State. And I said, sure, we need something. I got there a week before the, the season started. And um, Jordan brought his team in and we played. And the next week he called and said, hey, I want to have a coffee with you. And um, so we went and had a coffee on campus. And he said, I've kind of, you know, finished college and I sold my business and I'm looking to get in, you know, an executive type role in, in football, in, in soccer. And I said, hey, man, I just met with, you know, the owner of the Berlin game dragons. And, um, I just had a coffee with him. I think he should reach out to Nick and Jordan ended up doing that. He reached out to Nick and then, uh, uh Nick ended up hiring him as the uh, general manager and, and Jordan did, did a great job there. And he's kind of, you know, followed a, a career trajectory for himself. So in uh, October I was in Turks and Caicos and I get a call from Jordan and he says, Hey Matt, I'm, I'm flying out for your, for your uh, November qualifier. And I was thinking, you know, I've been watching this guy travel all over the world. I knew what he was doing a little bit, trying to look for different clubs and opportunities. And um, we'd, we'd stayed close and remained friends for a long time. And um, he showed up in November and um, he showed up and had an opportunity to watch us win that, that you know, we, we won a huge game in November against, against St. Vincent's. And, um, very unexpected win and Jordan was there for that. And we went and had a coffee uh, the Monday we played that Sunday and we had a, we had a coffee on Monday and he said, Hey, look, I have this project in Europe. I want to create a, uh, a platform for, you know, some young American kids and potentially coaches. And I want to do that in Europe. And I think that's the best place for development. And I'd like you to be part of this project. And, you know, I, I, listened to him and and we put a lot of thought into that in december um i had started applying for some other positions and collegiately and semi-professionally and professionally etc and jordan called again he said look i really want you to think about it you've been on this crazy you know this crazy gamble of a career and um i trust you and i want you to be part of this and i just looked at my wife we were actually on on vacation in san diego and and morgan and i just said hey let's let's do this so i uh, committed to it at that point in a kind of a part-time na- nature and by january he had called back and said the board approved a full-time position for me and and here we are i've been um the last three four months back and forth between denmark and the u.s and getting this project going has been you know probably the biggest learning curve of my life but it's been just an incredible incredible journey so far so give us a little bit of the macro kind of the big idea you you touched on it a little bit uh when you were when you were kind of giving us the the origin story with with this whole project um in your conversations with jordan what 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 is the big idea for FC Helsinger and, and you talked about opportunity for American players and, and possibly American coaches as well. What, what is the big idea with this project? Why, why Denmark, why FC Helsinger and, and why would this be different? Let's say 
from other opportunities that are available either domestically here in the U.S. or in 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 Europe. Yeah, it's a, that would be a great question for Jordan because um, you know he spent so much time looking both you know uh, domestically and overseas at different projects. But in a nutshell, look, I think the 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 barrier to entry in the U.S. right now is ridiculous. So. Um, when you're talking about an MLS, you know, kind of franchising platform that that's what they're they're closing in on two hundred million dollars for a franchise, um, and then and then you're working within a kind of a, a a closed franchise. So there's you know obviously the the hot topic is promotion relegation, but you know it's uh it's kind of like the the good old boys club of of football. And um, I, I just think he didn't feel like that was the the right place for him to start. So he wanted to look for a, a smaller club where we could get in and um, invest and build a platform, learn learn more about you know operating, especially in Europe. And obviously, he wanted to create a platform, just a developmental platform for you know partly for good young American players because uh, he just doesn't feel like there's enough opportunity for kids in the United States right now. And um, the reasons that that FC Helsinger specifically in Denmark um, in a broader capacity were, look, it's a, it's a country that speaks English. And uh, so there's an easy transition for, for young players to go over there. Um, I think Americans in general are, are uh, have been, you know, looked at, uh, especially from a business standpoint, very valuably over there. Um, and there's a culture of playing young players on first teams there. You know, every weekend that we go to games, whether it's in the Super League or First Division, you know, you're watching, you know, all kinds of kids from the ages of, you know, 17 up play. We we had a chance to go watch Norshland, uh play two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and, you know, there was, there was about nine players under the age of 20 out on the field that day. And this is in the Super League in, in Denmark. So we just feel like it's a great opportunity um, for your younger, talented American players to get over, get first team bent, first team minutes, develop. And clearly, you know, we're, we've created a model where we want to sell. We want to help kids develop and sell them on to bigger and better opportunities and clubs. So your role with the club as the North American Sporting Director, are you going to be based by, you know, uh, in – back and forth between the U.S. and Denmark? Are you going to primarily be based in Denmark? And, and what is your specific role as North American Sporting Director? So that, look, it, it just continues to develop and change as we as we learn more about Helsinger and the, you know, the situation it's in. I mean, we're, we're right now fighting a, a big relegation battle. And, um, so, so my role specifically just kind of continues to develop as we're pretty new into the project. I think originally my, uh, my role was, was primarily going to be based in the United States. So developing the scouting network, the infrastructure for talent identification, that type of work. And then as we got more and more into the project, we feel like, you know, there's going to be some value to spending a little bit more time in Denmark. With Jordan and myself, so I would say, you know, right now the the plan is for uh, for me to be in Denmark. I, I would guess somewhere between a week to ten days a month. So I'll spend, you know, a good chunk of my time here recruiting and developing uh, that network, 
and then uh, a portion of my time actually on the ground in Denmark working you know with our domestic scouts working with the team as you might have seen we we just uh we just put Omid Namazi I just named him as the head coach so I'm really excited for Omid and and, and being a an American coach and somebody that's got a lot of experience with U.S. soccer he's now there so I've been able to work with Omid on the the coaching side of it a little bit um and I'm heading back next week uh, a little bit earlier than planned to work with Omid as they finish up the last four or five games of the season but um you know it's ever evolving Daniel it just keeps changing I would say from week to week the more you know the more we learn about you know the way things work in Europe and the more we develop our our scouting networks here uh and that's one thing I love about working with Jordan and, and maybe even in particular in Europe as it's just so much more collaborative than what I've found over here. So um, I think things continue to change and evolve and uh, it's a very, very collaborative uh, project, which is, which is exciting for me. It, 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 having traveled to Europe many times and, you know, I was in Denmark last May, we'll be back in Denmark uh, this summer for a few weeks and, uh, as we've communicated back and forth before today, you know, t- looking at uh, trying to get something set up to do to do this show live from from Denmark uh, with you guys. Uh, really hoping we can get get that worked out as well while I'm there. But um, you know, having seen that um, market, the European market, and talked to different people across you know Europe in in different clubs, different leagues, different countries. The, the one thing that I think Americans don't realize is how the effects of an open market really do impact your day-to-day operations. Um, you know, the, the, the player market, the transfer market, the club market, like everything you have opportunity and you can build and you can grow and you can try things. And, you know, yes, there, you know, as you, you alluded to a minute ago about the the relegation battle, yes, there are ramifications for, you know, uh, underperformance, but there are also so many more opportunities because of that same uh, freedom and, and, and freedom to, to let the market decide or in, or in this case, uh, specifically to let clubs decide their own futures, their own fates by good decision making, investments, etc. And and when you when you compare that with some of the things that you've talked about today, with the American market in the fact that things are very much restrictive, and you don't have uh, club mobility, club viability, club freedom. Uh, to to build projects and then be rewarded for that. That that's the thing that I think a lot of a lot of people miss when we look at American soccer is they'll if you ever get get on social media and you kind of look around and and you and you get into any of these dialogues and you'll hear some some you know uh, kind of American soccer fans they'll they'll just say well you know you can you can do it you can build that or you'll hear others in American soccer media they'll say you you know we we'll just go build a better mousetrap well. I I agree that can be done but but you are you are when you say it in a flippant way you are you are not acknowledging the realities that are a part of that 
process. And those realities are that you don't have the freedoms to to do the the, the things that you guys are doing with this project um, in, in Denmark. You you don't have even uh, I would classify the support of the federation in in building a project it's kind of more of like you know if if they don't interfere that that is your support <laughs> it's, not, it's not that they're being right. proactive to help you it's just like okay well they didn't interfere so at least i can keep trying to build something um whereas when you look at that in europe it it, it is it, you know you see players young players they they dream they work they come they come to training and every day they know that that they're if, if, if they do their job and they do it well, they can, they can get another opportunity, a bigger opportunity, a better opportunity. And, uh, and, and the pathway, even though structurally by name, right, you know, you may be at this club versus this other club. You may be in this country versus another country. The pathway is very similar to that of, of a, of an American football player in that you, you you're not, going up through school teams and then you know going that way in the way the american system is but you are coming up through a club and then if, if you're really really good you get identified you get scouted you get an opportunity at, at a bigger club and, and and you keep kind of working your way up and the clubs have that same kind of pathway up through these connected systems of leagues as well so um you know i i'm excited to see the the progress that you guys are already making and and hope to to see uh, success come your way as you guys keep building one of the things you touched on in the very beginning and i i want to get back to you and i made a note of it and and it's that um you you take assets or projects or clubs or teams organizations that are underperforming and you improve them that you you build them what what in your makeup, what in your area of strengths um, and experience uh, helps you in that task of taking an underperforming organization or a club and helping that thing improve and become better? Yeah, good question. And um, even even your promotion relegation, you know, you're spot on with that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm living day to day with the relegation reality and it's very, look, it's, it, it changes, you know, the way you operate down, you know, like right now we are, you know, we're, we're close to, you know, we're right at the bottom of the league right now. So this, this club in particular has been, you know, in three years, potentially we could be in the Danish super league of the Danish first division and now the Danish second division. So we've taken, you know, this club's taken this crazy career, you know, path, trajectory into the Superliga and then down and what's amazing about that even though it's very difficult to go through in the hard times is the fact that we have this hope of going back up so even if we have a bad year we get to go back up and and that's you know that means more television money more revenue more people we can hire more jobs we can we can give to 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 people in Denmark and through this whole process there's this crazy you know, opportunity for kids, there's kids to play that, you know, kids that have gone from the first division up into the, and, and now they, they play in super league. And, and there's this, you know, there's this open air of, of change. Yeah. You might play in the super league one year and you're in the first division the next year. And that's, 
that's what's not occurring in the United States, right? So there doesn't seem to be a huge, like, let's take USL to the MLS. There doesn't, you know, if you're, once you're in the USL, there's not a whole lot of movement between the two from what I can see. And that, that makes this closed system in America very, very difficult for players and coaches and, and people who really want to, you know, lay it on the line and go do something special with themselves or with their career. It makes it difficult in some senses. So just, just to talk about the promotion relegation, it's, it's, it's on my heart now. I woke up at, you know, 5 a.m. yesterday to follow our team in, in Denmark, and it's tough, man. And, and, and from a, you know, from the, the leadership of the club side, look, right now we're at a point where we have to prepare to stay in the first division. We have to prepare for a potential relegation to the second division. And how does money look like? How does, how does job security look like? What kind of players are we going to have to put together if we're here or there? It's, um, it's just so much different than when I've, I've, I've been involved with in, in the U S. So to answer your second part of that question, look, I, I think, I think turning programs around it, I, I think it's a really unique skill set. And after having done it so many times, basically we figured out that, look, there's some things that when, when things aren't going right in places, there's some commonalities. Every stop I've been, there's some things that are, that, that, that they share in common. And I guess the reason I've done so well is just probably because when I was, you know, running a youth club in Bakersfield, California, one of the things I, I ended up doing was, you know, each year we would just have a team, a problem team in the club. And I just made it a habit as the director of coaching and as, as a leader of the club, I would typically step into these teams and take them over myself. Instead of just pushing them off to the side, I'd say, Hey, I'm the, you know, I'm the director of coaching in this club. Instead of taking the top team in the club, I'm, you know, those teams are generally, they, they operate well, they do well, they have good coaches and good parents. So I, I always challenge myself to go take, you know, the underperforming teams in my club. And that's what I did for years and years and years. So I, you know, kind of, I, I had this kind of knack for turning things around and changing culture. Cause I think culture is, is the most important thing that you can build and do. I think you can build championship teams with, without having the best players or access to the, to the, you know, to the, to the best things. And I've proven that every stop, right. We don't have the most scholarships. We don't have the most, you know, I didn't even have a paid assistant in my last two stops. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't have access to, you know, the top, uh, the top things that, that the big programs do. But what we do know is that we can build culture, we can affect culture. And ultimately, that's the difference between, you know, winning and losing and getting the right people on the bus and creating a culture and creating communication is, 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 is foundational. Like you have to do those things if you want to be successful in business or in sport or anything. And I think, you know, over the years, I've just, um, you know, we just feel like we figured a few things out and we figured we, we just, you know, have a knack for, for building, you know, strong culture and, and the ability to do that pretty quickly. So that's kind of what I've, I've really prided myself on. Um, you know, we can sit around and talk about tactics and X's and O's all day, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think, I think, I think building, building culture and, you know, building and, and sticking with, you know, communication models and, and things like that are ultimately the most important. So 
as you look at this this project, you're in six months into this project. It's you know still re- really brand new, and and you're you're figuring things out. Obviously, you're you're living and, and dying with you know with every match as you're you're trying to fight off relegation and then figure out what, you know what does next year look like first or second division um what what is what is the the outlook for getting american players involved you mentioned uh, previously uh today about the fact of of building a, a network of scouting and and you know, connecting uh, American players to an opportunity um, in Denmark, like like with what you guys are working on there at FC Helsinger. So, w- what are some? I, mean, I don't know what all you're 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 able to share at this this point, but on a, I guess on a general scale, what are some of the things that you might be looking at in terms of connecting American players with your club there in Denmark? Well, I think I think there's. It's multifaceted, right? Because um, because we we we've never come out and said, "Hey, we want to challenge MLS, we want to challenge USL, we want to challenge college soccer." It's it's not been like that at all. For for Jordan and and for me, the, the most important thing is we've said, "Hey, we want to be another option, maybe that third or fourth option for the right kid, the right family in the United States." Because look, there's there's all these big market teams. If you take the MLS and they have all the big markets cornered, that's great. They're getting all the good young talent. They're doing great. They're doing awesome things for American soccer, especially especially compared to what what it was like when I was growing up. Right? It's it's so much better than it was. So much more opportunity. The problem is there's something like 90 to 95 percent of of kids aren't even in these markets in the United States. I'll take Texas for instance, and we have all these amazing border cities like Laredo and some of our friends like at Laredo Heat, for example. There's so many good players in Laredo, and Laredo is not, you know, on, typically not on anybody's radar. So we feel like there's this really big market for for you know potentially kids that get overlooked. We feel like there's a market for the non MLS uh, DA kids. So what's a kid, you know what what opportunities does a kid from a non MLS DA have? I really like um, you know I really like this club. I think some of the non MLS DAs are doing some of the best development right now, and. Um, you know what? What are the options for those kids coming out of the those those DA you know programs? And what about college players? Right? I still think you know even though college gets overlooked so much, uh, we're starting to see a trend now where MLS um, you know clubs are saying, "Oh, we don't even want to be part of the draft." You know, I understand it, but on the other side, um, we have this amazing collegiate infrastructure in the United States. You have some of the best facilities, some of the best coaches, some of the best infrastructure um so why would we as a nation that we haven't done anything on the international level we haven't put ourselves up denmark's got 5.7 million people and it's a top 10 you know nation uh, footballing nation um we're underperforming but then again we want to you know we want to ride off and snub off what's unique to america and what we've what we do have so why aren't we building better relationships with universities and college programs. And, you know, Jeremy Gunn's a good friend of mine at Stanford and Jeremy's, you know, produced two of the last three rookies of the year in the MLS. 
but still we have, you know, MLS clubs that want to just write off collegiate soccer. We know it's not perfect. We know, um, we know that it could be done better, but at the end of the day, I don't think we can write off college soccer either. It's, it's unique to the United States and it's still a developmental program that we should invest in and we can make that better. So one of my first things that I, that I did when I came in is I, I made a presentation, a proposal, um, you know, to our board saying, look, I think it's important that we work with, with the universities. And I pr- proposed a, you know, a university elite program, which got approved. Um, we're going to try to get it up and running this summer, but I know it'll be up and running by next year for sure. And that's where we're going to take five um, through a, a nomination and selection process. We're going to take five kids from university programs in the U.S. and um, do an all-expense-paid trip to Denmark for them so they can train with our first team and get immersed in, the, you know, in a, in, in, in a, you know, in a European uh, club. And we'll do that in, in, in a way that's very non-invasive to the, to the, to the college coach. It's not a recruiting trip for us. It's just something to say, Hey, when, and if you decide to, to, to look at some roots after college, when you're ready to leave college, we want to be, we want to be one of those programs that you look at. So I'm, I'm trying to help with some, maybe a little bit of innovative thought for, for, um, for, for some different American players. And it's working on the other side of the pond as well, because now, we have, you know, 11 to 13 mother clubs that feed into FC Helsinger, and it's an amazing system over there. But what happens when these kids grow up and go through the system and they don't get selected to play at FC Helsinger? Well, we want to offer opportunities to those kids domestically as well. So I'm working right now in conjunction with, uh, with a company to start, you know, giving some of those, you know, young Danish kids, those talented kids, and opportunities to come to to the United States and play in college. So, you know, I don't know if there's any right or wrong answer, but I think we're trying to do some innovative things, Daniel. We're working really hard to, to get uh, some young players over. We've already had several over on trial. Um, and it's not just American kids. We are getting very close to signing uh, two um, kids that play for New Zealand that will be in Poland um, in the next few weeks on the national national team for the for the world cup um so yeah we just basically want to become uh you know uh proving grounds for for good young players and and help them help them uh kind of reach their dreams well i think it's incredible and i i love what you're doing and i hope that more and more people uh continue to follow your project and and even uh if they're able to to be involved in other projects like this one to, because I think we do need so many more opportunities and pathways for uh, players and you're spot on about the fact that if you're, if you're not in the shadows of um, one of these MLS academies and you only have a couple dozen here in the U S um, for a, for a country as large as ours, it's really a shame that 90 to 95% of the country are, are in the dark and um, in in terms of, of getting a real opportunity to come up through the top level pathway. And, um, you know, I, I'm really excited to see what you guys are doing and, and look forward to uh, to following your progress and, and, and hope to see it up close this summer uh, when we're over there as well to uh, to, to, to get a, a real good look and insight as well 
uh, firsthand uh, when when we were there this summer. So Matt, thanks for thanks for coming on the show and thanks for joining us. And we really uh, would love to have you back on again, especially when we don't have any uh, uh, thunderstorm inter- interactions or interruptions. <laughs> Uh, with your phone where we can where we can get into even more um more things and 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 discuss even more about uh some of the things that you guys are doing and maybe by then you'll have even more announcements that uh that you can can make as well so uh good luck with uh with the rest of this season and and getting ready for next yeah thanks well we'll look forward to seeing you and hopefully we can connect over there and maybe even do something live we have a new stadium opening in in July, which is really exciting. It's a state of the state of the art stadium and, and we will have some more announcements coming soon, but in the meantime, if we're, you know, relegated or stay where we're at, we're going to, we're going to continue grinding out, creating a, you know, an incredible, uh, you know, it's an incredible place for, for, especially for some young Americans to be. So uh, we'll be around and we'll be grinding it out every day and until we uh, see you next. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, like I said, we look forward to having you back on again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. That was Matt Barnes uh, of FC Helsingor. And uh, he, he uh, you know, we had some, some phone def- difficulties there in the beginning, but uh, really glad we got that worked out to be able to get him on and, and finish that interview. Um, you know, sorry for the technical difficulties. Uh, sometimes uh, Mother Nature does not cooperate and it's just part of it. But um, again, thanks for tuning in. This is going to be a, a big week, a busy week uh, with our guest, uh, Mickey Turner, tomorrow. Get ready, buckle up. We are going through the legal express line and going to look at all kinds of things going on. So um, Wednesday, Ken Richards, Luke Berry on Thursday, and Tristan Tillette on Friday. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, we've got some announcements coming up this week on some some of the rest of this project that builds beyond this show, um, and uh, we we are are really excited to be sharing those with you. So stay tuned. We will we will unveil some things later this week, and uh, really appreciate all the support. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we will see you tomorrow.